Blog Talk Radio. Good evening for another exciting Cisco and Falstone Hour and Broadcast and Politics. We have a great show tonight. We have U.S. military expert, Brigadier General. We have a general for the first time, Robert Spaulding. He's a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, focusing on U.S.-Chinese relations, economic and national security. And he's also the author of a book called Stealth War, How China Took Over While Americans' Elite Slept. Well, he'll be on in about five minutes. Well, I just want to touch briefly on this whole situation with the pandemic. It's so interesting that the liberals, the liberals are basically saying, oh my God, Florida, Texas, all the states that reopen are having an increased number of people getting the corona. But the people who were protesting in New York, in D.C., in other parts of the country, there's none. That's the, that's the credibility. They lose credibility when they say that. Okay. And, and that was my bit of a rant for a moment. Mark, take over. Okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Folks, yeah. I think we're in real trouble. And we're in real trouble because, you see, there's something that the, is, is the mortar that keeps our little bricks stuck together for the house called America. And that mortar is the rule of law. And WTF is going on with that. What, I riot, I get released, uh, I uh, open a playground, I get arrested, I open a gym, I get fines and arrested. Uh, if I burn and kill... And maim. Oh, that's cool, bro. Uh, the, I'm waiting for the feds to come in. I mean, if the local, the feds can still press charges against these people, it, it, you know, it's not solely relied upon the state or the local level because they're so corrupt and incompetent. Uh, you, you know, a decade ago, I think I was on the Mark Levin show, and and I volunteered the three principles of the Democrat Party, and it still holds today, I'll say the same thing, deceit, theft, and greed. They're just disgusting. Now they're not even upholding the laws. Now they're even above the law. Oh, I'm the governor. I'm the this. I'm the that. I can waive the rule of law. Holy crap. Where the F is the DOJ? Federal charges have to come into play. I'm scared right. with this crap. Now, no, no, no. It, 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 you're absolutely correct, and especially if you live in, in, a, in a blue state. If you live in a blue state, uh, you should be a lot more concerned because you have individuals that are basically working against you and working against the law-abiding citizens. They're, they're, they're basically taking the side of the criminals and not basically taking the side of the law-abiding citizens. So I, 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 it's, it, this is a wake-up call, and, and in November, you have to get all your friends and, and family to actually go out there and make sure that these individuals do not get the highest level of the government. 
in power, control of the uh, because that, that that's it. We're done. We're done as a country. But I think I'm, yep, in, in, yep. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm very concerned about this now. Again, federal trial, the feds could step in and start arresting people. And I thought Antifa was going to be declared a terrorist group so that we could go after all the uh, money people behind it. Uh, it's like, come on now, let's go. Get off our stuff and get on the offensive against these bastards. Yeah, these I, I believe it. I, I, anarchist, America hating bastards. Yeah, well, I think it's coming. Uh, uh, once we get, we get the second term, uh, it's coming. Uh, let's bring in, uh, let's call the general. For the first time, we have a brigadier general on the line. It's ringing. I, I, I just... Spalding. Good evening, General. Uh, Spalding, how are you? Good. We are here. We were looking forward to uh, having you as a guest today uh, on the Cisco and Falzone Hour, Broadcasting Politics, and um, we have you here. Uh, welcome. Great. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. I just gave a, a brief description, and it's it's such an impressive resume. And I definitely um, wanted to say ni hao, since I know you're your fluent Mandarin. Cheshe. <laughs> I'm not as fluent as you are, but <laughs> uh, I, I, I've been to China and I've been to Taiwan, and uh, so I got a little taste of uh, what China and, and, and Taiwan is is all about, but. Welcome again. Um, just wanted to um, go over um, some of your achievements and, and, and also focus on the U.S.-Chinese relationship and the Insurrection Act, which is a lot of our audience have been asking me. We got to get someone who's, who is very knowledgeable about what the Insurrection Act of 1807 is and how can that be applied in today's world. But if, if, let me, before I go on, if you can inter- reintroduce yourself um, to, to the listening audience, maybe I missed something, uh, please go ahead. Thank you. Yeah, I um, uh, spent most of my time in the U.S. Air Force over the last 27 years. I was the uh, uh, senior defense official in Beijing and the senior uh, director for strategy at the White House. Uh, I was the chief architect for the current national security strategy for the Trump administration and, uh, you know, mostly a B-2 pilot in my career in the Air Force. Wow. Now, how was that experience living in Beijing? I mean, uh, it's such a, such a huge city and, and the traffic is a nightmare, especially since it's, it, uh, Beijing is it's a ring. Uh, yeah, well, is, I lived in... I lived in Shanghai from 2002 to 2004, so, um, and I'd uh-huh. been to Beijing before, but um, Beijing uh-huh. is a very, very different city from Shanghai, and, uh, and, and yes. China is a very, very different China uh, from the time I first lived there, which was 2002 to 2004. Right, yeah. We were there, my son took six years of, uh, of Mandarin in school, and... Uh, 
So it's great. I mean, and then the, there's the different types of Mandarin because you have the uh, simplified Mandarin, which is what uh, in Taiwan, and then you have the, the full-blown Mandarin, which is uh, more characters in, in, uh, with the Chinese Mandarin. I found that really interesting. Yeah, you, you have simplified characters and complex characters. and Yes. Uh, really, the simplified characters uh, were developed by uh, the, the communists in China, uh, and the uh, and that's that's right. Taiwan uses long form, which is complex, and, and uh, communist yep. China uses simplified. Simplified. So uh, I think there's there's in the news since ever since uh, President Trump came into in, into became president of the United States, he from the very beginning indicated to everyone that we were not going we were going to get we were going to get tough on China and uh the the tariffs were part of it but also the fact that we could not allow China to basically control the the, the economy the world economy and we cannot allow them to to build up such a military force in in your estimation um Based on China, how far has China come military-wise? Oh, they're tremendously advanced. They have maneuvering ballistic missiles. They have uh, hypersonic missiles that maneuver in the glide phase. They have uh, quantum communication. Uh, They have advanced stealth fighters. They're building an advanced stealth bomber. They're building a couple new aircraft carriers. They have very, very highly... Uh, sophisticated um, uh, air independent propulsion submarines. So they are, they're a very, very advanced military. So at this point in, in China's military history, do they, do they have the ability to become the number one global power military and economically? Uh, uh, economically, they already, I would already consider them to be very, very, um, powerful and maybe Mm -hmm. even in terms of their geopolitical power, the most uh, powerful country. Uh, if you just look in terms of the international institutions that they've been able to take control of militarily, they're not a global power yet, primarily, um, because of their, uh, they, they don't have a lot of alliances. But in their backyard, they are definitely the most powerful. Right. I mean, they they control the East China Sea, the South China Sea, and the Taiwan Strait. Uh, I mean, they're, they're they're feared. But I think I think with the exception of maybe uh, uh, South Korea, which I think is not at the level of China, but I, I think in Taiwan, Taiwan doesn't really. I mean, when I was in Taiwan, I spoke to. Quite a few Taiwanese, and, and, and they feel that, I mean, I, I got the impression that Taiwan is not really afraid of China. Uh, no, but that, that, with that being said, I think that the Chinese uh, Communist Party does um, have a lot of influence over Taiwan. You know, they pressure them. Uh, they, they um, you know, pressure them with military forces, but they also try to uh, influence their society through social media, through media, uh, and, and through economic and financial pressure. Right. I mean, they do, they do have uh, a strong influence over 
over the uh, South China Sea and the uh, Taiwan Strait. Um, since President Trump has come into in, in, uh, uh, taken over and become the president of the United States, have you seen uh, a step? Have they have China taken a step back because of the constant pressure that the president has has uh, applied to them? Uh, they have definitely been placed on their back heels. Okay. So uh, I would say definitely. 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 And when it comes to, you, you mentioned that China has really become very influential when it comes to organizations uh, like the UN, like the WHO. Um, how and also the influence that they have taken over here in the United States by basically sending a lot of their students and individuals from the CPP to basically, you know, espionage, steal our, our technology. How come there's, there's been such an open, open uh, door policy for the Chinese government to be able to just come here and, and, and you know, steal a lot of our, uh, our, our proprietary uh, uh, technology? Well, I think for the most part, because um, we have a very we have a very open system, and people expect that um, because of the open system that we have, that we should, you know, treat nations uh, just mm-hmm. like we are. In other words, we we tend to consider that the Chinese is a, is an open country, and of course, uh, as you know, they are not. They're they're a dictatorship. In fact. Many people in the United States feel that China is a democracy, and so it's just really a level of ignorance about about what uh, the Chinese Communist Party is and what China is. Right, and you know, there's there's been in December we had the whole situation with Hong Kong, the Hong Kong Freedom Fight of our fighters, and you know this new security policy that uh, the Chinese government is uh, trying to apply to uh, Hong Kong, to t- basically not taking into consideration that when they made an agreement, which I believe by now the world knows that any agreement with China is really not a fully committed uh, agreement, because when they basically agreed with the, uh, with the uh, British government, that they were going to ba- basically leave Hong Kong alone. Do not, they were not going to interfere. And they have gone back on their word, right? Um, That's absolutely correct. In fact, they had a treaty signed with the U.K., uh, and, they, right. and they you know, registered at the United Nations, and they violated that treaty. And, of course, um, if you follow the history of the Chinese Communist Party, they don't adhere to any agreement that they make. Right. So, so that, that doesn't really paint a very pretty picture for the, for the future of Hong Kong. No, Hong Kong is definitely no longer going to be independent or free. Uh, and the people of Hong Kong are essentially going to be uh, subjugated, just like the people of mainland China are today. Right. So within, within the, uh, the, Chinese Communist Party, the CPP, there, there seems to be a commitment 
to go and create an expansionist global takeover. They've, they've, they've gone to Africa exploding for oil, for, for um, diamonds, mining. But one of the interesting parts that I, based on my research, was what they're doing to, in, in Latin America. I mean, they're basically going to Venezuela. They've basically taken over Venezuela because Venezuela went uh, basically oh, they bankrupt. So they had to, now they depend on Chinese funds. And then Ecuador. So they're, they're, they're expanding all over on a global, uh, on a global scale. Um, and the world is just sitting back and not actually doing anything about it. Are you surprised? Well, you know, when I um, started this back in 2014, uh, and I got to the Pentagon and I was advising the chairman of the Joint Chiefs uh, on China, I was surprised at that time. You know, now, five years later, you know, it's, it seems like, um, you know, it's, it's just it's been so overwhelming in terms of their ability to infiltrate nearly every um, international system, nearly every domestic institution in the United States. And so I'm no longer surprised. Now, you know, I think, um, thankfully, Americans are waking up to it. And hopefully, right. you know, over time, we'll fix it. Yeah, because Ecuador borrowed over $11 billion from China, and they were unable, from the last report, unable to pay that money, that debt. And they have taken over a lot of the, the oil and gas production in Ecuador, which basically if, yeah. if they, have, they have Ecuador, they have Venezuela, uh, they're starting to basically um, – starting to mount like a, a real cold war that we had with Russia or are we too early to compare the U S being in a, in a cold war war with, um, with China, just like the was with, with the Russians. Yeah, I think it's, it's, there's no doubt that we're in a cold war. I think what, um, mm-hmm. what we need to be focused on is ensuring that it doesn't become a hot war. You know, I think it's, it's, it's clear um, that the, uh, the, the Chinese Communist Party seeks to displace the United States on the global stage. It's, it seeks to minimize the power of the United States to counter its influence everywhere, including in America. And so there's no question that it seeks. Uh, it's, not a, um, it's not a win-win uh, relationship, as Xi Jinping likes to say, it's actually a zero-sum competition, and they seek to dominate. And the the threatening thing for the United States is to have an authoritarian or totalitarian regime that dominates the global order is extremely dangerous for democracies, and particularly will be dangerous for the preservation of democracy in the United States. Oh, definitely. That, I think that we were just discussing just before you came on that we are at, we're at a critical critical point in our history now, and um, the influence of the Chinese government over our political parties and political uh, politicians is just incredible, and also the influence over our institutions, our college institutions, our universities. I mean, we've 
been reading reports, but, you know, Harvard and, and, and other Ivy Leagues receiving grants and, and, and funds from the Chinese government. Um, yeah, isn't it shameful? Isn't it shameful that they just fell out like, like harlots for, for just some money? I'm, I'm amazed by that. Yep. What's your perspective on that, uh, General? Well, I think, um, you know, what you have in what the Chinese Communist Party saw uh, with the end of the Cold War and the, the spread of globalization and the Internet was an opportunity to take advantage of um, what the United States was attempting to do. And essentially what the United States was attempting to do was to embrace uh, the Chinese Communist Party because they felt if they could help them grow their economy that over time as they become more wealthy as a nation that the Chinese Communist Party would uh, liberalize politically. And of course, um, they had no intention of doing that. And so in a, in a way, they took, a, they took advantage of our generosity. And right. over time, this notion that we were we were slowly transforming China really allowed universities, corporations, Wall Street banks, lobbying firms and law firms in Washington, D.C. to begin to think that, oh, well, you know, this must be a good idea and good for America if we make China strong. And, of course, that's the major um, thing in the national security strategy that we uh, made a point of saying is that we got this wrong, completely wrong. And in fact, rather than, you know, helping uh, China to become freer, what we've allowed, enabled really, is to, is to enable America to become less free. And you see right. a lot of, you know, influence in terms of how we, uh, you know, how the government, you know, acts today that comes from this relationship with China. Definitely, definitely. But now, now, to, twi- to change the the way we were going on this uh, conversation, I, did the pandemic, the um, the Wuhan virus, um, change started to change the way China has been looked upon? Because I have some friends in in Taiwan. I have some friends in within the main mainland China that I that I that I communicate with, and a lot of companies are starting to leave. A lot of company Japan is paying their companies to leave. So I think there's going to be a there has been a backlash, and there will continue to be a backlash. And I think economically, China will be hurt. Um, and then militarily, that will be impacted by their economic situation. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. In fact, it was already happening before the coronavirus. I think the coronavirus just made uh, it, it made everybody more aware of what the Chinese Communist Party was and therefore is accelerating the decoupling of uh, the Chinese economy from other democracies. You know, I think what what the Chinese Communist Party is really um, surprised by is the level of animosity, not just from the United States, but also mm-hmm. from the European Union, from right. uh, other nations, democracies in Asia. And I think it's really caught them off guard. 
of that being said, they are so, um, you know, determined that, you know, they are under threat from democracies that they're just going to continue to close down their society, which is exactly the wrong thing that you would want to do uh, because that's going to make it even more difficult for them to access technology, talent, innovation, and capital uh, that they need to continue to grow. Right, because they they actually depend a lot on their 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 uh, their, their economy is based on, on on basically supplying and and exporting, and I think a lot of countries. I mean, we have like you, you mentioned uh, the the EU. You know, there's a couple of lawsuits. Germany has has brought a lawsuit against uh, against the Chinese government, and other countries within the European Union have actually brought lawsuits against uh, the state of Missouri has brought a lawsuit against uh, the Chinese government. So I think that there, there, there is, a, and you're, you're absolutely correct, there's, they're really cracking down within China because I've been told that they're really implementing a, a lot of attacks against dissidents who are basically speaking out against the, uh, the, the, the CCP. Well, that's right, and they're not only doing that, but they're also um, cracking down on businesses. Uh, you know, they're making it uh, even harder to do business in China for the companies that are operating there, and that's why you're seeing a mass exodus uh, for the supply chain. In addition, uh, what I think you're going to see from the administration, particularly in the second term, is an mm-hmm. is a uh, increase of, of funding and other incentives to get uh, U.S. companies to relocate back to the United States. So I think one of the things that, you know, I think is, um, you know, facing us is the slowdown of the economy due to coronavirus. But if we can get these manufacturers back to the United States, you may see an an ability to offset that decline in economic growth. Well, you you just you you have a book out there, Stealth War: How China Took Over While American Elites Slept. Can you basically give us a, a brief introduction of what the book contains, the content of of the book, and why why did you write the book, and how did it come about you writing a book? Because I think it's fascinating for anyone out there. It. it it has a great title, and I know it must be a great book, and I definitely I want to get it. Yeah, so um, really my the reason I asked to retire from the Air Force was because I had been involved uh, heavily in this uh, strategy development in terms of how the United States would counter what the Chinese Communist Party had been doing. And um, while the strategy is out there, and you can download it and read it, uh, the context, context, the background, you know, how, you know, we determined that the strategy was necessary, that story hadn't been told. And so what I tried to uh, do is convey uh, a, a brief uh, summary of everything that we had learned, that I had learned, and others that were working on my team over the last five years of my time in, in government about what the Chinese were doing. So. Uh, really understanding how it uses its economy, its society, 
its uh, its government to undermine the United States and the international order is really what the book's about. And then, you know, in the end of the book, I go into a couple chapters on how do we counter and really uh, help, you know, restore uh, America's, um, you know, prosperity and democracy. Mm-hmm. And when you when when you when you're bringing up Americans elite, are you talking about the political class, the technology class, the you know the business class? Because I think all of them have played. I mean, from the from the from the the political parties that have been the I would say the the, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, um, also a lot of the technology companies, the media giants, the Silicon Valley, who have actually allow themselves to be, you know, to pamper uh, China, like the, the Googles of the world and the Facebooks of the world, and also academia. Um, is that what, when you mention Americans elite, am I classifying, is that the group you're classifying as American elite and that's exactly correct. And then I would add into that um, also the um, the elites of Wall Street uh, and um, and certainly um, the legal um, uh, institutions in the United States. So um, the law firms, the lobbying firms, the think tanks in in, in Washington D.C. All of them. Right. And was that in your in your estimation? It was that intentionally or was more of a monetary uh, reason that they have done that? Oh, yeah, definitely. They were, they were financially incentivized to, you know, essentially do what the Chinese Communist Party wanted. Right. And how, how, how has that changed with, with the uh, current administration, uh, the Trump administration? Um, What steps has the Trump administration done to, to, basically uh, slow down the, that process. Yeah, so if you, if you watch what's going on in the, in the, current, uh, in the current administration, you, if, you can, if you see how the elites, um, and I'm talking about the elites both on the right and the left, are um, you know, essentially constantly attacking the president, that mm-hmm. is related to this relationship they have with China. If you if you notice, um, there is a lot of uh, disagreement with the imposition of tariffs. There's a lot of in, in, uh, disagreement with, you know, essentially confronting the Chinese Communist Party. This is because, you know, many of the elites that you talk about uh, have all been incentivized by the Chinese Communist Party, and they're angry at the president for you know, essentially taking away their gravy train. Right, right. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's definitely, uh, there, there is, there's a, a, a hatred, and that hatred is basically, has a lot to do with, with the new way of dealing and handling the Chinese government. And, and a lot of people are very upset, and that's the reason the media is complicit in, in, in that attack. Um, Military-wise, we, we're always hearing uh, from the president that 
when he took over the military, no ammunition, you know, the, the ships were, the, 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 the pilots uh, had not the latest technology. And how bad was it under the previous administration when it came to the military, since you were in the Air Force? Because uh, we keep hearing that. And, 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 and the other party, the opposition party says, no, that's not true. Uh, so we definitely want to hear from you in your experience the difference between this current administration and the previous administration in regards to the military uh, equipment and, and uh, being up to date and being at the level that uh, of, of, a, of a global power. Well, the the, the I, I don't think you know really the military power is not. The, you know, the main challenge that we have with the Chinese Communist Party. And, you know, so I think, you know, when I think of the challenge we have uh, in terms of the administrations, whether you talk about the Obama administration or the Trump administration, it is primarily in the willingness to allow for the systematic theft of, you know, America's wealth. And um, right. because that, so what, what people fail to understand, and, and this is what a lot of my work on the National Security Council was directed at, is that economic power precedes uh, military power. And, and if you don't have economic power, then you don't have you know, military power. If you don't right. have an industrial base, then you can't build uh, the weapons that you need to uh, create national security. And so this tie between economic security and national security uh, in the post, uh, post-Cold War world has broken down. And today, when you talk to national security professionals in, in the United States, their recognition of the importance of economic security to national security just really is non-existent. Hmm. Wow. Why is that? Well, because we, um, we have been in this, uh, I believe, we've been in this place where America was the dominant power at the end of the Cold War and, um, and essentially uh, didn't recognize the importance of preserving its economic power in, in terms of, you know, investing in science and technology and um, and then maintaining its manufacturing base. And when it did that, it allowed for and, and it promoted the Chinese Communist Party's ability to essentially, you know, bought, surpass us in those areas. So, you know, China has been investing, you know, trillions of dollars in science and technology in addition to stealing ours. Right. China has about- been investing billions in manufacturing in addition. And so we've lost all of this capacity that we had during the cold war and it's been taken and basically moved to China. You know, I, wait, I wanted to point out, I wanted to point out uh, the administration's strategic success in pursuing so vigorously our, in, our energy independence. Because if you recall recently, or half of the Saudi uh, production facilities were taken out 
by Iranian military acts. Now, if that had occurred under, say, an Obama administration or or some other Democratic administration, which was actually curtailing uh, energy production, we would have been in serious straits. We would have been in serious problems. Gas would have spiked. Uh, everything would have become more expensive. However, half of the of the Saudi production went out, and we so much uh, it was just a little tiny bump in the road. So we have to right. give kudos to them for that strategic initiative. Yes, but you know what's 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 been allowed to happen here recently is uh, the Russians and the Saudis have done a very good job at essentially. Um, destroying the U.S. energy industry. So you're going to see a lot of bankruptcies because of the overproduction of oil in addition to the coronavirus. And so, you know, I think it's it's almost a perfect storm for the United States in terms of the coronavirus. And then uh, the subsequent rioting and looting that's allowed this, this, um, this, you know, economic disruption to continue. And so I think you're you're really looking at the unfolding of what uh, the Chinese call unrestricted warfare, in which all elements of you know your day-to-day life becomes weaponized to essentially destroy the U.S. economy for the purpose of you know gaining ultimate power. Right. That's that's absolutely. Seven three two five three nine. Do you have a, a question for General Spalding? Oh, hello. This is Vicki. Um, yep. You have a question so for the general? general? I don't really have – I'm just listening to the the show right now because I'm not really well-versed in China. But I'd like to say thank you for your service. And uh, I'll keep continuing uh, listening until I can have a question, okay? Uh, all right, great. So um, the U.S. Uh, – the Insurrection Act of 1807 – there's been a really, really big debate back and forth uh, in regards to the president. If the president should act, uh, he has the power. And, you know, basically, uh, the act basically allows the president to deploy U.S. military and federalize National Guards, troops within the uh, U.S. Uh, it's been used. It was used in 1993. Correct me if I'm wrong with um, Great Davis, the governor of California, asking George Bush to, to during the Rodney King uh, disturbance. And I think Lyndon B. Johnson also did it during the, the Newark, New Jersey. Uh, from what my understanding is, the governor or the mayor of each state would invite the president to bring the, the military in. Why is there has been so much controversy in regards from the mayors and governors of, of these states regarding the president doing what others have done in the past? Well, I think it's related to the overall dissatisfaction with um, the elites on both the right and the left with um, President Trump. But it really has less to do with the Insurrection Act and more to do with the fact that the elites of the country, again, on the right and on the left, not, not just the Democrats, but the Republicans too, that right. the idea that the president is, is an illegitimate president. And I'm not talking about the Republican Party per se, 
what I'm talking about are many elites um, in the Republican Party. Uh, and I'm not talking about the Democratic Party per se. I'm talking about mm-hmm. many of the elites in the Democratic Party. And I think there's a difference. There's a differentiation between sort mm-hmm. of the working class of America, um, which, you know, I think uh, is, is a class that has been um, undermined by this relationship with the Chinese Communist Party. Because many of the jobs that they had were in these over 70,000 factories that were moved to China. And so mm-hmm. when that happened, you saw a, a, a growing gap in the wealth of the wealthiest and in the, in the poverty or the destitution of the working class that lost those jobs. We're talking 5 million manufacturing jobs. Each manufacturing job brings with it four supporting jobs in the community. So 70,000 communities in the United States devastated by the loss of 20 million jobs. Now, those jobs never came back. They were never replaced. That was something that economists said we would replace the jobs if we sent the factories to China. And Mm -hmm. uh, there's several labor studies that say that did not happen. Those communities remain broken to this day. And in those communities, we sent fentanyl, from China that further ravaged these communities to the tune of tens of thousands of deaths each and every year. Then you sent coronavirus. uh, And then in in what people really don't understand uh, with regard to the Insurrection Act is that it wasn't just Antifa and Black Lives Matter that were rioting and looting. They were supported uh, by social media activity from China and Russia. So their ability to, so 40% of the social media posts uh, that related to coronavirus have been from bots, from uh, state actors. And right. I would venture to say, I don't know the numbers for the riots and looting, but I would venture to say that they're, uh, an equivalent number were from China and Russia. So it wasn't just um, you know, these, these fringe groups in the United States that sought to, you know, destroy and, and harm people physically. It was China and Russia that was supporting them by encouraging pe- more people to go out into the street. So this is, this is, you know, where I think you have to begin to understand that the Insurrection Act is an important tool that the president has to protect the, the, the country from enemies both foreign and domestic. And in this case, that's what you had. You had enemies both foreign and domestic that were involved in the, in the, in the rioting and looting going on. So, you know, the president got accused that he was part of the, you know, he, he was involved with the Russian collusion. You know, he was buddies with Vladimir Putin. And, and, and you know, this whole, you know, the, the Christopher Steele, dossier and the, the, the FBI at the highest level with, you know, with uh, Comey and, and Mueller, not Mueller, Clapper and, 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 and what's the other guy's name? Um, it, you know, this whole collusion. Brennan. That was, Brennan. Brennan. And, and now we're actually seeing the real collusion in regards to these riots and, 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 and the insurgents uh, both domestic and foreign, influencing the ups, uh, what I call the uprise of a socialist communist uprise. 
within the United States. And there's no hearings on it. There's no impeachment on uh, There's nothing going on. You know, it's like, why is that happening, um, General? Well, it's because that, you know, our, um, our national security establishment, which includes the intelligence community, has been so focused on the Middle East and countering terror that they have uh, and um, the the ability for social media to be used as a weapon against democracies has quite frankly been overlooked. Uh, This is why the Chinese Communist Party built the Great Firewall. This is why the Russians, you know, tested disconnecting their internet or their network from the internet because they understood the power of social media to influence their population. So what they did is they, they protected their own, these authoritarian regimes protected their populations from seeing anything from outside. And this enables them to then uh, essentially use their own people and technology to then go after the societies of democracies. So that's what they're doing. They've created a bastion behind which they attack the free world using social media. So this is why globalization and the internet globalization they've they've been able to destroy the economies and they're using social media to destroy the societies to create division to create dissent to create anger and fear of the government right so this idea so this is something that they promote this um the idea that the that the police are 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 evil is something that these that these countries, Russia and China, are promoting within our own population. It's not just coming from within the United States. Right. Well, the the individuals, from what I'm I'm understanding of what you're saying, people within the U.S. that have influential voices, they're being used by the Russians and the Chinese to execute their strategy. That's correct, and in, 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 in most times unwittingly. So, in other words, they are just—they think that they're that they're collaborating with somebody that thinks like them. What they don't understand is they're collaborating with a foreign nation. Foreign nation. Now, in regards to the uh, Insurrection Act of 1807, uh, as and I, as I mentioned previously, it, it's been used in the past. Um, when would you? If you were consulting the president right now, when would you basically say to the president, now's the time? Has it gotten to that point, or it's still not at that level where U.S. military forces would need to go in, in, into a city like, uh, you know, the new, the new country called Chas or CHOP or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, where you have individuals who have taken over? A radius of well, now now it's three blocks. It was six blocks, but they get they, you know they're getting pampered. The mayor is basically providing food for them on a daily basis. When would when would the um, president? When would you consult and advise the president to? Hey, now it's the time to to um, move in, even though he he has not been invited. 
Well, I think that time has already passed. I think, um, you know, in essence, what we have is uh, governors and mayors that don't understand that this is not just coming from domestic sources. There's also foreign sources involved. And, of course, the uh, Constitution allows for the federal government to provide for the common defense. And this is the entire, what I've been saying about the, the national security establishment. They don't understand the nature of warfare. It's not about bombs and bullets. It's about dollars and cents. It's about ones and zeros. It's about information and, and economics. This is how Chinese Communist Party primarily, but also some of its proxies like Iran and Russia and North Korea are using the tools, the tools that we created, the tools of the Internet, to undermine the United States. And so I think the time has passed. I think it's actually appropriate that the federal government step into those, um, those cities where we are currently seeing lawlessness like Seattle and right. restore order. This is not, this is not, we're not talking about civil disobedience here. We're talking about uh, fringe elements in the United States that are in league with those nations that would see the destruction of the United States is beneficial to their own interests. So, if, if, if that, I mean, if that's the case, uh, what's the hesitation from the from them from the uh, from the administration? Well, because they have been convinced, some in, in the administration, I would say, have probably been convinced that this is a domestic political issue and not something that's coming from outside the United States. And again, that's because our national security establishment, to include the intelligence community, is, has not been focused on this area of warfare, this unrestricted warfare that essentially the Chinese Communist Party invented, um, or you know, I, I think more appropriately, um, adapted what the Soviets would call active measures. So, and, and the globalization and the internet gave them much more ability to scale this and, and become much, uh, much easier to influence at the individual level in democracies than they, than they could during the, the Cold War where everybody was cut off from the Soviet Union. So the national security has, has become more uh, politically correct as well as basically they're behind the times. Would that be more appropriate? P politically correct. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think they've 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 misinterpreted the direction, the moving direction of national security, and it's in you know we're not going to fight the Chinese with tanks and ships and planes and bombs. We are actually in a war with them that is financial and informational uh, related. In other words, they're using the tools of finance, as we talked about in terms of incentivizing our elites. And then they're using the tools of information like social media to convince our population that the government is evil and they should hate each other. I mean, it, it, it's actually a quite crafty and brilliant right. way to organize a strategy. Definitely, and, and then it's, it's been allowed to perpetuate by our, our our politicians, 
on both the left and the right here in the media. That's correct. And, and, and because our national security establishment failed to pick up on this, uh, that, you know, there was no, there was no warning. So just like there was no warning to 9-11, just like right. there was no warning to Pearl Harbor, we had no warning to this effort to undermine the United States. Now, there's been this, there's just been this discussion how the, the Russians were influencing our elections, but it's far bigger than that, and it goes far deeper, and it really has been used as a means for political retribution in the United States rather than recognizing our entire society is under attack. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Now, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, they portray China, and again, we, we just had a, a discussion in regards military-wise, you know, and you, and you brought up, you, you, you brought, broke down, you know, their capabilities. But I, I kind of find it very embarrassing and laughable when they're having a problem on the border with India, you know, there's a little tug of war they're having, and so many Chinese soldiers are being killed. Well, you know, they have, the, about, the, uh, they have a little well, over a million more. They don't mind. Yeah. That, that's a really good point. That's a really good yeah. point, and, and that's the po- exact point I made uh, about this, and that is that, you know, the Chinese Communist Party doesn't care about its people. It really doesn't. And so all it cares about is power. And so in this case, they're being aggressive in the South China Sea. They're being aggressive in the East China Sea. They're being aggressive uh, on the Indian border. This is something that they continue to do uh, almost, you know, incessantly. And, And they're becoming even more aggressive because I believe they're becoming more aggressive because of the, um, of what the, current administration has been doing in order to confront them economically. So their, their economy is slowing. Therefore, they have more unemployment. Therefore, the Chinese Communist Party is coming under more uh, internal domestic uh, challenges. And therefore, they need to lash out. And that skirmish with India is part of that. Right. And, and then with, within the CCP, there's a lot of there seems to be a lot of dissension. That's what I'm hearing from my uh, my contacts in in Taiwan and in China. Dissension within the, the CCP. Uh, Xi Jinping, uh, the current uh, dictator, because he's the president for life, uh, seems to be you know ha- there, there's a, they're questioning his decisions in regards to the coronavirus uh, breakout and how much they were, they were hiding and working with the WHO on covering it up. So there's a lot of internal dissension within the party. Do you, you're an expert on, on China, do you see, you see uh, a coup uh, happening within the, the CCP? Well, you know, I think if, um, if the Chinese Communist Party were smart, that would be the way that I would approach their current predicament. Um, yeah. But they're not, and uh, and so I think you're um, what what you have is a regime where Xi Jinping has you know essentially firmly established control and is not going to relinquish it. Um, the last time they had a coup was the Gang of Four, which briefly took power after Mao Zedong's death 
Uh, right. And of course, they they um, essentially arrested them, and then that's when Deng Xiaoping came to um, you know leadership, and then they began this um, effort to create this uh, collaborative leadership style that they had from uh, Deng Xiaoping to Jiang Zemin to Hu Jintao, um, and then yeah. of course Xi Jinping came along, and they threw that out the window. So when they did that, he purged anybody that was disloyal. So he's firmly in control of the Chinese Communist Party and the People's Liberation Army. So I do not see him uh, being uh, overthrown anytime soon. What you're going to see is a, is a continued descent of China into this more kind of authoritarian or totalitarian system where uh, the people... Uh, are, are, you know, continuously oppressed, and they're going to cut themselves off from the free world because they see the free world as a danger to continued rule of the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, it's true. Uh, if you want to plug in your book again, and do you have a website or, uh, where we can basically uh, we can go and, and, and or read some of your articles? Any... any uh, Advertisement. Yeah, General Spalding. General Spalding dot com is uh, my website. Spalding. There's no U in Spalding. I'm also on Twitter at Robert underscore Spalding, uh, and uh, on um, other social media. So I'm out there on YouTube, and 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 I talk a lot about China, but I also talk about uh, some of these other issues that we've discussed today. Well, I'll tell you. I'm getting a lot of uh, messages uh, in regards. They they have learned a lot from you, um, General. Um, definitely, we could cover we could cover the world because there's a lot a lot happening around the world in regards to the 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 power imbalance on a global scale. Uh, the situation in Russia, uh, situation still in the Middle East with with the Saudis and Iran, that constant friction. And in South America with Venezuela and, 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 and Colombia and, 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 and the powers are, uh, that are basically uh, Brazil and, and Colombia with the U.S. and Venezuela and Ecuador, uh, not Venezuela, uh, Ecuador, Venezuela with, with China and Russia. It, 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 I, I don't know. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I see a, a new Cold War coming uh, from all over. I mean, uh, around the globe. No, it's here, and what you're going to see is alignment of nations now, and, and a realignment of of spheres of influence. And I think you're uh, you're starting to see that the Chinese Communist Party will use the Belt and Road Initiative as its means for aligning, you know, the nations that are going to be aligned with it. And you're going to see, you know, a period of uh, of realignment. And and some of uh, our allies and partners don't understand that yet. <coughs> Uh, and so you're going to see the United States begin to put pressure on allies to to make a decision. It's either the Chinese Communist Party or the United States. Definitely. Thank you again, General. And we'll love to have you back here on our show. Thank you. Thanks so much. Have a good night. You too. Mark. Yes. Your, your comments. Yes, I wanted to say we're the proud benefactors of Students for a Better Future led by Her Highness Doreen <laughs> Finkel. Uh, yes. I call her that because of her tenacity, her intelligence, and her sincerity. And I also wanted to, I know I wanted to tell the general, 
my uncle, my father's brother, was a retired full colonel in the Air Force. And wow. his career included, career included a hurricane hunter in the late 50s, early 60s, commander wow. of an air base in Vietnam. And get this, he was the navigator a few years for Air Force One. Wow. That's 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 incredible. Uh, I, I'm I'm so impressed. Yeah, I'm very impressed. Yeah, full colonel uh, retired. Although he he's deceased because of uh, a disease that he picked up in Southeast Asia that just never left him, and uh, eventually he succumbed to it. Well, uh, I know you you you're very proud, but I think the the general really gave us a full scope. I learned a lot from him. Uh, you know, the Russian-Chinese influence in these domestic uh, incidents, I, that threw me off. I don't know about you, but it well, did me. Uh, yeah, but, but then you have to broaden that. That means that there are, I, you know it and I know it, there are folks here in this country knowingly and willingly working with them. And yes. God damn it, why why aren't they cracking down on them? I'm sure they have to know who they are because they're such arrogant bastards. They probably aren't even covering their trails. Oh yeah, but I think again, like the uh, like the general said, I think in the in the second term that's gonna that's gonna come out. I, I definitely believe. Anyway, next week we'll have and, anyway, another. Can I call you? Can I call yeah. you off the air? Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, but let me just say uh, before we leave, uh, next week we have another special guest, and you'll know about it once you tune in into the Cisco and Falzone Hour Broadcasting Politics. Thank you. Have a good evening. God bless America, and we'll see each other next week. Bye. Bye.